0: Section 12 of Japanese Girls and Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ava'i in September 2012. Japanese Girls and Women by Alice M. Bacon. Samurai Women. Part 1 samurai was the name given to the military class among the japanese a class intermediate between the emperor and his nobles and the great mass of the common people who were engaged in agriculture mechanical arts or trade upon the samurai rested the defence of the country from enemies at home or abroad as well as the preservation of literature and learning and the conduct of all official business at the time of the fall of feudalism there were among the thirty-four millions of japanese about two million samurai and in this class in the broadest sense of the word must be included the daimyos as well as their two-sworded retainers but as the greater among the samurai were distinguished by special class names the word as commonly used and as used throughout this work applies to the military class who served the shogun and the daimyos and who were supported by yearly allowances from the treasuries of their lords. These form a distinct class actuated by motives quite different from those of the lower classes and filing a great place in the history of the country as the nobility through long inheritance of power and wealth became weak in body and mind the samurai grew to be more and more not only the sword but the brain of japan and today, the great work of bringing the country out of the middle ages into the nineteenth century is being performed by the samurai more than by any other class what it may be asked are the traits of the samurai which distinguish them and make them such honoured types of the perfect japanese gentleman, so that to live and die worthy the name of samurai was the highest ambition of the soldier the samurai's duty may be expressed in one word loyalty loyalty to his lord and master and loyalty to his country loyalty so true and deep that for it all human ties hopes and affections wife children and home must be sacrificed if necessary those who have read the tale of the loyal Ronans, a story which has been so well told by midford dickens and gree that many readers must be already familiar with it will remember that the head counsellor and retainer oishi in his deep desire for revenge for his lord's unjust death divorces his wife and sends off his children that they may not distract his thoughts from his plans and performs his famous act of revenge without once seeing his wife only letting her know at his death his faithfulness to her and the true cause of his seeming cruelty And the wife, far from feeling wronged by such an act, only glories in the loyalty of her husband, who threw aside everything to fulfill his one great duty, even though she herself was his unhappy victim. The true samurai is always brave, never fearing death or suffering in any form. Life and death are alike to him, if no disgrace is attached to his name. An incident comes into my mind which may serve as an example of the samurai spirit, a spirit which has filled the history of Japan with heroic deeds. It is the story of a long siege, at the end of which the little garrison in the besieged castle was reduced to the last stages of endurance, though hourly expecting reinforcement. In this state of affairs the great question is whether to wait for the expected aid, or to surrender immediately and the answer to the question can only be obtained through a knowledge of the enemy's strength. At this juncture, one of the samurai volunteers to steal into the camp of the besiegers, inspect their forces, and report their strength before the final decision is made. He disguises himself, and through various chances is able to penetrate, unsuspected, into the midst of the enemy's camp. He discovers that the besiegers are so weak that they cannot maintain the siege much longer, but while returning to the castle he is recognized and taken by the enemy. His captors give him one chance for escape from the horrible death of crucifixion. He is to go to the edge of the moat and, standing on an elevated place, shout out to the soldiers that they must surrender, for the forces are too strong for them. He seemingly consents to this, and, led down to the water's edge, he sees across the moat his wife and child, who greet him with demonstrations of joy. To her he waves his hand. Then, bravely and loudly, so that it may be heard by friend and foe, he shouts out the true tidings. Wait for reinforcement at any cost, for the besiegers are weak and will soon have to give up. At these words his enraged enemies seize him and put him to a death of horrible torture but he smiles in their faces as he tells them the sweetness of such a sacrifice for his master japanese history abounds with heroic deeds of blood displaying the indomitable courage of the samurai in the reading of them we are often reminded of the spartan spirit of warfare and samurai women are in some ways very like those spartan mothers who would rather die than see their sons branded as cowards. The implicit obedience which samurai gave their lords when conflicting with feelings of loyalty to their country often produced two opposing forces which had to be overcome. When the daimyo gave orders that the keener-sighted retainer felt would not be for the good of the house, he had either to disobey his lord or act against his feeling of loyalty. Divided between the two duties, the samurai would usually do as he thought right for his country or his lord, disobeying his master's orders, write a confession of his real motives, and save his name from disgrace by committing suicide. By this act he would atone for his disobedience, and his loyalty would never be questioned. The now abolished custom of harakiri, or the voluntary taking of one's life to avoid disgrace and blot out entirely, or partially, the stain on an honourable name, is a curious custom which has come down from old times. The ancient heroes stabbed themselves as calmly as they did their enemies, and women as well as men knew how to use the short sword worn always at the side of the samurai, his last and easy escape from shame. The samurai always wore two swords, a long one for fighting only, and a short one for defense when possible, but as a last resort for harakiri. The sword is the emblem of the samurai spirit, and as such is respected and honored. A samurai took pride in keeping his swords as sharp and shining as was possible he was never seen without the two swords but the longer one he removed and left at the front door when he entered the house of a friend to use a sword badly to harm or injure it or to step over it was considered an insult to the owner End footnote. The young men of this class, as well as their masters, the daimyos, were early instructed in the method of this self-stabbing, so that it might be cleanly and easily done, for a bloody and unseemly death would not redound to the honor of the suicide. The fatal cut was not instantaneous in its effect, and there was always opportunity for that display of courage, that show of disregard for death or pain, which was expected of the brave man. The harakiri was of course a last resort, but it was an honourable death. The valga criminal must be put to death by the hands of others, but the nobler samurai who never cares to survive disgrace was condemned to harakiri if found guilty of actions worthy of death. Not to be allowed to do this, but to be executed in the common way, was a double disgrace to a samurai. Even to this day, when crimes such as the assassination of a minister of state are committed, in the mistaken belief that the act is for the good of the country, the idea on the part of the assassin is never to escape detection. He calmly gives himself up to justice or takes his own life, stating his motive for the deed, and, believing himself justified in the act, is willing that his life should be the cost. Footnote kuroshima who attempted to take the life of okuma the late minister of foreign affairs as recently as eighteen eighty nine committed suicide immediately after throwing the dynamite bomb which caused the minister the loss of his leg this was the more remarkable in that at the time of his death the assassin supposed that his victim had escaped all injury End the old samurai was proud of his rank his honourable vocation his responsibility proud of his ignorance of trade and barter and of his disregard for the sordid cares of the world regarding as far beneath him all occupations but those of arms wealth as artisan or farmer rarely tempted him to sink into the lower ranks and his support from the daimyo often a mere pittance Ensured to him more respect and greater privileges than wealth as a heimin to this day even this feeling exists preference for rank or position rather than for mere salary remains strongly among the present generation so that official positions are more sought after than the more lucrative occupations of trade japan is flooded with small officials and yet the samurai now is obliged to lay down his sword and devote his time to the once despised trades and to learn how important are the arts of peace compared with those of war the dislike of anything suggestive of trade or barter of services and actions springing not from duty and from the heart but from the desire of gain has strongly tinted many little customs of the day often misunderstood and misconstrued by foreigners in old japan experience and knowledge could not be bought and sold physicians did not charge for their services but on the contrary would decline to name or even receive a compensation from those in their own clan patients on their side were too proud to accept services free and would send to the physicians not as pay exactly but more as a gift or a token of gratitude a sum of money which varied according to the means of the giver as well as to the amount of service received daimios did not send to ask a teacher how much an hour his time was worth and then arrange the lessons accordingly the teacher was not insulted by being expected to barter his knowledge for so much filthy lucre but was merely asked whether his time and convenience would allow of his taking extra teaching the request was made not as a matter of give and take but a favour to be granted due compensation however would never fail to be made of this the teacher could be sure but no agreement was ever considered necessary with this feeling yet remaining in japan this dislike of contracts and exact charges for professional services We can imagine the inward disgust of the samurai at the business-like habits of the foreigners with whom he has to deal on the other hand his feelings are not appreciated by the foreigner and his actions clash with the european and american ideas of independence and self-respect in japan a present of money is more honorable than pay whereas in america pay is much more honorable than a present the samurai of today is rapidly imbibing new ideas and is learning to see the world from a western point of view but his thoughts and actions are still moulded on the ideas of old japan and it will be a long time before the loyal faithful but proud spirit of the samurai will die out the pride of clan is now changed to pride of race loyalty to feudal chief has become loyalty to the emperor's sovereign and the old traits of character exist under the European customs of today, as under the flowing robes of the two-sworded retainer. It is this same spirit of loyalty that has made it hard for Christianity to get a foothold in Japan. The emperor was the representative of the gods of Japan. To embrace a new religion seemed the desertion of him and the following of the strange gods of the foreigner the work of the catholic missionaries which ended so disastrously in sixteen thirty seven has left the impression that a christian is bound to offer allegiance to the pope in much the same way as the emperor now receives it from his people and the bitterness of such a thought has made many refuse to hear what christianity really is such words as king and lord they have understood as referring to temporal things and it has taken years to undo this prejudice a feeling in no way surprising when we consider how the jesuit missionaries once interfered with political movements in japan so bitter was this feeling when japan was first opened that a native christian was at once branded as a traitor to his country and very severe was the persecution against all christians missionaries at one time dared not acknowledge themselves as such and lived in danger of their lives, and the Japanese Christian who remained faithful did so knowing that he was despised and hated. I know of one mother who, finding command and entreaty alike unavailing to move her son, a convert to the new religion, threatened to commit suicide, feeling that the disgrace which had fallen on the family could only be wiped out with her death happily all this is of the past and today the samurai has found that he can reconcile the new religion with his loyalty to japan and that in receiving the one he is not led to betray the other the women of the samurai have shared with the men the responsibilities of their rank and the pride that comes from hereditary positions of responsibility a woman's first duty in all ranks of society is obedience but sacrifice of self in however horrible a way was a duty most cheerfully and willingly performed when by such sacrifice father husband or son might be the better able to fulfil his duty towards his feudal superior the women in the daimyos castles who were taught fencing drilled and uniformed and relied upon to defend the castle in case of need were women of this class women whose husbands and fathers were soldiers and in whose veins ran the blood of generations of fighting ancestors gentle feminine delicate as they were there was a possibility of martial prowess about them when the need for it came and the long education in obedience and loyalty did not fail to produce the desired results death and ignominy worse than death could be met bravely but disgrace involving loss of honor to husband or feudal lord was the one thing that must be avoided at all hazards it was my good fortune many years ago to make the acquaintance of a little japanese girl who had lived in the midst of the siege of wakamatsu the city in which the shogun's forces made their last stand for their lord and the system that he represented as the emperor's forces marched upon the castle town moat after moat was taken until at last men women and children took refuge within the citadel itself to defend it until the last gasp at each encroachment of the enemy those of the population who could not find refuge at once within the inner defences were driven to choose between surrender and self-inflicted death The unconquerable samurai spirit flamed out in the choice of hundreds of women and children, as well as men, and whole families were wiped out of existence at once. The little ones, who were too young to understand the proper method of harakiri, kneeling calmly with bowed heads for the death-stroke from father or brother, which should free them from the disgrace of defeat. footnote. The bombs of the besiegers fell crashing into the castle precincts, killing the women as they worked at whatever they could do in aid of the defenders, and even the little girls ran back and forth amid the rain of bullets and balls, carrying cartridges, which the women were making within the castle, to the men who were defending the walls. "'Weren't you afraid?' we asked the delicate child when she told us of her own share in the defence. "'No,' was the answer." A small but dangerous sword of the finest Japanese steel was shown us as the sword that she wore in her belt during all those days of war and tumult. "'Why did you wear the sword?' we asked. "'So that I would have it if I was taken prisoner.' "'What would you have done with it?' was the next question, for we could not believe that a child of eight would undertake to defend herself against armed soldiers with that little sword. "'I would have killed myself.' was the answer with a flash of the eye that showed her quite capable of committing the act in case of need in the olden times when the spirit of warfare was strong and justice but scantily administered revenge for personal insult or for the death of father or lord fell upon the children or the retainers sometimes the bloody deed has fallen to the lot of a woman to some weak and feeble girl Who, in many a tale, has braved all the difficulties that beset a woman's path, devoted her life to an act of vengeance, and, with the courage of a man, has often successfully consummated her revenge. End of Samurai Women, Part One.